0: By visiting stopagingnow.7pillarscoaching.com Stay tuned, you're going to hear amazing guests And yours truly, Dr. Nick Delgado Take you to the very next level Your mindset, your sleep, your ability to improve your diet, your exercise What hormones, how to balance them All of this and more Let's listen in This is Dr. Nick Delgado with Dr. Dr. David Steenblock. We're in San Clemente area, and he has an impressive facility. Uh, Here's a doctor who has probably done arguably more research, more interventions with stem cells, and several other novel approaches, which I believe is the future of medicine. And here's a doctor who probably knows more and he's probably forgotten more than most doctors would ever know in their lifetime, truly. Dr. Dave Steenblock, I know you've treated somewhere in excess of 6,000 patients. Um, and you also were about to explain to me that you wanted to start with a high success group. Tell me about that. And was that with children and cerebral palsy?
1: Sure. Um, well, people ask me, well, how did you get into this business of stem cells? And in the 90s, 1990. One to 2000 was the decade of the brain. And so I, in 91, I had a, a remarkable experience with a stroke patient, and uh, she was my patient as a just a patient, she had atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, diabetes. And at 73, she was falling apart. And so much so that the surgeon said they should operate on her heart, but they couldn't because she had such bad carotid artery and they couldn't operate on the carotids because she had such bad heart. And so she was was a non-surgical candidate and she was also mentally not a good candidate because she wouldn't change anything. And I told her she'd have to change her diet, uh, stop eating all this fat and start you know, following a plant-based diet, etc., etc., and she just said, ha-ha, for you, and (laughs) that's what you think, and walked out out of my office. And then about, uh, I don't know, six weeks, two months later, her daughter calls me from a local hospital emergency room and there. She's just had a stroke, a massive stroke, and she was uh, semi-conscious, lost uh, the use of her arm, one arm and and leg, and uh, they were wanting to admit her to the intensive care. And I said, um, hm, why don't you, uh, instead of that, call, call an ambulance and sign her out against medical advice and bring her over to my office. And she said, hmm, okay. And sure enough, within a half an hour, here she comes with her mother, comatose, just barely, you know, if you poke her with a stick or whatever, she would go, uh, uh, that kind of thing. And um, so we put her in the hyperbaric chamber and I treated her for an hour thinking that that would be really great. And after one hour, absolutely nothing happened. And I'm saying, well, I'm in real trouble. Uh, here I've taken this woman out of a hospital. She's so sick, they want to put her in intensive care and they bring her over to my, shabby little office. And I put her in one chamber and, and, and think that it's going to bring her back to life. And that didn't work. I'm, I'm in tr- deep trouble. So I said, well, I better come up with some, better put my thinking cap on quick. So I started coming up with all kinds of different things that I could use to help stop that process and revive her. And so I put together a concoction of all kinds of things, you know, things like uh, mannitol and vitamin C and methylpragnisolone and DMSO and uh, SOD and, catalase and um, variety of different things, and uh, EDTA, uh, magnesium sulfate. And so I I gave her that for uh, three and a half hours, during which time I also put a pulse magnetic field therapy, uh, magnetherm kind of thing on the back of her head, which increases blood flow to the brain. And we did that for, like I say, three, three and a half hours. Put her back in the chamber for another hour, and this time she got better. And I said, well, that's working, so we did it again, and we did it again. and, And within 24 hours, she walked out of my office totally back together. And so this is the first time ever you take an acute stroke patient and brought back to pretty much normal life within 24 hours. And that was impressive. And I said, well, that's enough for me. I'm going to just specialize in, in stroke as well, because it's the decade of the brain. So I started treating stroke. And so I spent 10 years sp- treating nothing but stroke with hyperbaric oxygen and all the other different things. And so uh, after, in about 2000, uh, we, uh, had um, people still asking me, well, what else can we do? We've gotten better, but uh, we'd like to get even more better, even better than than we are. And so, what else can we do? And and so, I came up with stem cells. And so, I found a source for stem cells, and, and then started treating the stroke patients with stem cells. And we and then from on- then I started uh, treating other kinds of cases uh, because the decade of the brain was gone. So I didn't have to spend all my time on stroke anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm joking, but but in general, I decided that that uh, and and also, you know, what happened was that uh, I was so successful with uh, hyperbaric that the world took notice, and so by by after ten years of my promoting it their hyperbaric chambers had uh, just uh, spread all across the country and people were doing hyperbaric for stroke all over. And so I had really aced myself out of the business. And so I was, I was having a hard time getting patients to come from Nebraska or whatever. But, you know, in, in the early 1990s, I was having people come from all over because nobody had chambers and nobody was doing hyperbaric for stroke. So people would come to me. But then in 10 years, there was chambers all over the place and everybody was using and they were all doing stroke. And so I was not getting many very, very patients. So I had to do something to keep you know things alive so i and stem cells were the issue uh, that you know came up that we're working so uh, I I started looking at what what could I do to what kind of a case should I have that would be give us would give us the best results ever with the least trouble low hanging fruit they call it, and so I came up with the idea that cerebral palsy would because they're young and healthy, uh, they have just had a stroke at birth, and so and and generally it's a white matter disease the uh, the insulation of the brain is white and instead of like the insulation in your house is black in the brain it's white and this white matter it tracks cells. And so uh, we knew that from rabbit work and rat research and all that. So I said, well, here's the ideal case. And so we started treating cerebral palsy. And sure enough, we had really great results and thank god because uh, you know when you're having a 80% success rate on cases that nobody has answers for uh, and and you have no side effects it's pretty darn good and so we just just you know it was a combination of luck and and thought and and uh, experience and studying the literature that allowed us to do that but uh, in any case so then from there we started treating other cases and and uh, started joints and all kinds. So we had people come from all over for all kinds of things. We had people flying in from Australia and New Jersey, uh, uh, Africa, uh, the Middle East. We had people from all over because again, we were the first ones. And so, uh, and so then by 2006, uh, we Came up with uh, the use of bone marrow. I started doing more bone marrow. So between 2000 and 2006, we were using mostly umbilical cord. And, uh, and then from there, we started adding to that. Bone marrow is interesting because uh, it depends, the, the power or the ability of the bone marrow stem cells to help you depends upon you. As a person, you know, in terms of, like, for example, if you don't exercise and you don't put weight on your bones, the bone marrow in your in your long bones and whatnot uh, do not. Uh, they're not as healthy as they would be if you were out running and exercising a lot. So if you do a lot of exercise, if you do a lot of weight bearing, uh, your bone marrow is gonna be healthier. And if you do a bone marrow stem cell treatment, your results are, g- are gonna be much higher.
0: And you so- did my t- tibia, by the way, uh, back a number of years ago. You drew yeah. stem cells right from my tibia. I filmed it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I-, I was pretty impressed with my results.
1: Yeah, you know. so it turns out that the tibia is generally better than the bone marrow from the hip. Uh, and again, there's more weight on the tibia. That's a smaller bone and a lot more weight. And so, and you, you compare the results, I got better results with the tibia. Uh, but it's a little bit more painful. And so, because you have to walk around on that bone and, and whatnot, so.
0: My recovery was okay. It yeah. was local anesthetic yeah, yeah.
1: and I walked. Uh... In general, so it turns out that, and, and so we, we, we it may very well be that milliliter per milliliter, you get better results, I think so. But with the bone marrow in the hip, you get, 500 milliliters, whereas in the tibias, you're only getting a uh, total maybe 100. And so uh, the, the quantity, may, it may, nobody's ever really studied, you know, how many, what's the growth factors or clinical results, tibias versus, versus your hip. So anyway, so then uh, we started doing uh, bone marrow and umbilical cord, and it turns out that that uh, after some time, uh, and let me tell you an example of, of how I got started in this. Uh, I had a patient uh, and who had a stroke, and a massive stroke, and glaucoma, and he was black blind, and so he couldn't see anything. He's in a wheelchair, and he's in a nursing home, and he lives in Connecticut. And he had been my patient, and I had fixed him up once, but he, you know how things are in old people. They kind of fall apart again. So after a few months of being okay, he had another stroke, and, and uh, then he wound up this way. And so they called me up and said, could you come to Connecticut? I said, for you, yes. So I flew to Connecticut, took my bag of tricks along, <clears throat> took him out of the nursing home, brought him back to his living room, put him in his easy chair in his, in his living room, and I did a bone marrow. Took a bone marrow out, like seven vials, like normal. Put it back into him, circulate, you know, put it back in his blood. And after I finished, I gave him two vials of umbilical cord afterwards. And so he had... Injected uh in, into so, the skin or IV? IV. So oh. you have to do this IV. So, it's important to do it, Ivy, on, on this kind, because with the bone marrow, the bone marrow goes first to your lungs and there are what are called phagocytes in the lung that suck up all these stem cells and hang on to them. And they'll hang on to those stem cells for a day or two. And so they don't go to the brain or whatever. They just hang in the lungs. But if you give the bone marrow first, it fills up the lungs with all those stem cells that are not that effective because they're, they're they're 57. Well, and this guy was 76 years old. So those stem cells that are going to his lung are 76 years old, not very helpful, but they do fill up the lung. So when you give umbilical cord, the, the umbilical cord are smaller and they go right through the lung then, and they go right to wherever it is that you need. And this guy had such a remark within, I think it was four weeks, he was able to see well not well, well, but he was able to start seeing his food. He was able to eat his food and check out this is hamburger, this is whatever. And so he was able to see again. By six to seven weeks, he was able to read newspapers. And so by eight weeks, he was back to n- normal vision. I mean, it was amazing. It's a miracle. Yeah, totally a miracle. So so I said, well, hmm. And so I started doing that combo. So that combination of bone marrow first and umbilical cord, sweet now you can also add to it too you know you can add glutathione and all this kind of thing now so so what we're doing now is because of the fact that even though we have great results but we don't have great results on everybody and and the idea is why and i've been stewing about that for some time and back in the days in the early 2000s uh, i would have a, i had a number of kidney patients come in want want to get their stem cells for, for repair kidneys, so they didn't have to go on dialysis and whatnot. Who doesn't nobody wants to go on dialysis. And so they're ready to pay whatever money to get that to happen. So they, they spent a lot of money and, uh, but basically didn't get much results. and nobody still has got a good answer for that. Now, now I haven't gotten around to treating them lately because this is what I'm telling you is now all new. Uh, and I've been specializing in ALS, not kidneys, uh, but uh, the ALS patients, are unique in that nobody knows quite what, uh, what it's all about, but there are some suggestions. And the suggestions are number one, there are endotoxins. Uh, endotoxins are the outer cell wall of gram-negative bacteria that exist in your gut. Uh, those endotoxins get into the blood and go to the core. And you can measure the endotoxin level in their blood and in the cord, and you see endotoxins in their blood and their cord. So obviously, they must have a leaky gut. When you do things like organic acid test, quantitative uh, organic test, uh, you'll see that they have uh, like um, uh, the bacteria are in excess, indicating that uh, the bacterial metabolites are in excess, indicating that there's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, and so, uh, even though they don't have any symptoms, it's amazing. These ALS patients have all these gut problems and have all these bad bugs and all that, but virtually hardly any of them have any symptoms. They don't have chronic pain. They don't have diarrhea. Their bowels are fine. And so, that's why for years and years and years, nobody ever thought to think that the gut could have any problem, any cause, uh, any relationship to these, uh, this disease. And yet, it turns out that it's major which is crazy. Why would why would the gut have so many poisons or something that's causing these people to, And it turns out that the bugs are special, especially bad.
0: You mu- once mention Candida fungal forms. Is that one of the yeah, types well, of candida, bugs?
1: Candida is also part of this whole thing. So you have, you know, just briefly Candida is is growing in the gut and, you know, it has a it starts off as a spore, a little round ball and tiny little thing and then you can see them on the tongue, uh, and then they swallow them, they go down. Then they start in the next place beside the tongue that you see Candida is at the lower third of the esophagus, right before the esophagus joins the stomach. And then the next place is the ileocecal valve area down here in the right lower quadrant. So those are the three areas of, of chronic yeast overgrowth. Now, when uh, when you uh, start looking at those blastospores that uh, are going down into the ileum, what you got are uh, they start to grow down there because it's dark, there's moisture, and there's sugar. And so uh, they start to grow, and they grow into the tissue. And as they grow into the tissue, they have to have something to help drive themselves in. And what they f- do is form a little tiny sliver of a hard material called chitin. And chitin is the same thing that you peel off of a shrimp, that outer shell that's pink, that looks like a little piece of plastic. Well, that tiny hard piece is right in the center of a yeast hyphae. And that drives, it helps drive the hyphae into your tissues. And so now the body sees that hyphae, especially as it's been there for a while. As and, you know the cells, you know, you forget that everything gets old and these yeast cells get old too. And so you start off maybe when you're a youth uh, eating a lot of sugar, and so you plant a lot of yeast in there and then slowly over time it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And then after many years maybe, it starts to get really old and falls apart and dies. Now you got old particles of chitin in your in your intestinal tract, mucosa, mucosal wall lining, and now your body starts to develop antibodies to all those things. Now you've got antibodies to the chitin and you can measure those those are uh, an enzyme that's used by the macrophage to destroy it is called cytotrycidase and you can measure that and if you have a lot of this cytotrycidase, your chance of having yeast in your system is pretty high so and it turns out that it has may very well be a contributing factor to the ALS as such too because it turns out that I, all these things these are all these little particles, tiny particles. Um, I have a a little picture on my wall of Buzz Aldrin's first footstep on the moon. And uh, and so there's this dirt uh, around it and, you know, and and all that. So people why has he got there and that there? And it turns out that not Buzz Aldrin, but Gus Grisham, the last man on the moon who got off the moon and got into his lunar lander, when he got his spacesuit off, he had an acute allergic reaction. And so, the acute allergic reaction should never have happened because he's on the moon. You see, because the moon has no proteins, no peptides, nothing. He he should not be having an allergic reaction. But he did. So, what's the reason? It's because of this dust. And this dust is made out of silica nanoparticles, little tiny slivers of glass. When he inhales them, it goes to these cells in the the blood vessels that went out there called pericytes, mast cells endothelial cells, astroglial cells, they all make up what's called a neurovascular unit, which controls the blood flow to the lung, different parts of the lung, little pieces of the lung, and your brain and your muscles, et cetera, et cetera. So your whole body is composed of neurovascular units, which are then influenced greatly by particles that particles that are toxic are going to cause you problems because the particles damage these cells. And when they damage the cells, calcium that's on the outside of the cell enters in and causes contraction of the parasites and blood vessels and the blood vessels squeeze down, and you stop having blood flow. And so you get hypoxia that causes oxidative stress and you go to hell. So that's the problem. So Mm -hmm. ALS has that in spades. Now, how do we know that? Well, because first of all, diesel fuel makes ALS patients worse. Air pollution makes them worse. Gut problems makes it worse. You know, etc. And then the only other thing is that makes them worse is having neuroforaminal stenosis, where you have an actual break in the cerebrospinal fluid blood-brain barrier. And I described that and published that data some years ago already. That 90 percent or more of the patients have what's called neuroforaminal stenosis in the spine, and nobody could figure out exactly how it all works. But it's getting clearer and clearer, and so the data is becoming more and more. Clear that this is what you do. So what I've been doing is figure, well, let's do that. Let's take out the poisons. Now, the poisons when, it, when they come into the blood, they go to the into the protein. The protein in the blood that sucks them up and holds them is albumin. So albumin is your number one sponge of poisons in your blood. And so as the poisons come in from the gut or from the ear or whatever, and it, and it can come from infections. So if you can have a Helicobacter pylori infection, if you have a abscess tooth, infection any of those things can put poisons into your system that are these nanoparticle toxins and so you need to try to try to figure out where there's these toxins are coming from and try to get rid of them but if you can't then you just have to clean and what you do is you, you put them on antibiotics antifungals uh, and binding agents that suck up the poisons out of the gut. And then you take out the blood, take out the albumin, put in new, fresh albumin, do this over and over again for a few days. Now, after a few days, you've cleaned out everything. you killed off as many bugs as you can, and you got them as about as pure as you can get. And then you give them stem cells. And with that, our success rate is so much higher than anything else. So it's, and especially with ALS, because you don't get any, generally you don't get much of anything. Now we're having one success after another, so it's really exciting. Uh, so hopefully it keeps up. We keep having great results. So anyway, that's that's the story on that. And I think what we can do with a lot of people who are having, you know, there are a lot of people come in. They they tried like like a, I have a few ALS uh, MS patients, and they'll do oh maybe three or four vials of of uh, of stem cells, and they don't see much results. Well, I said, well, you need to treat, number one. You know, uh, yeast is a part and parcel of uh, multiple sclerosis. That was p- published by, by Orrin Trust back in 1989, Journal of Ortho Molecular Medicine. I didn't believe it at the time, but, you know, between him and others and, and whatnot, I finally started to get around treating. And it took me four or five years to believe it. And I finally had one patient who had seen. I don't know twenty some twenty some doctors over many years and and had just been miserable, not been able to work, just having aches and pains and fatigue. She had chronic fatigue. She had this. She had that. So and so she gives me the story, and I said, "Well, you know, you tried everything else. Let's try an antifungal. What the hell? Put her on an antifungal. It was, it was the old one." Uh, um, Diflucan thing, or you no know, the other one before. So anyway, the point was I put her on the standard uh, And I swear to God, within ten days she was a new woman. She couldn't say enough nice things about me. She she would have put to put her on the front cover of Time magazine, my picture with her saying, He's he's God. <laughs> she was so impressed. And so that impressed me too. That you know, here's a woman who's tried everything, done everything, and you know, she didn't have that many symptoms, and you know, you couldn't really couldn't really see that you know that we didn't have any good t- tests then at the time to tell that she did or didn't have yeast. But just the just I said, well, you know, because because one of the troubles we had at the time was that the damn medical board was always after us for everything. And so if we said we were treating yeast, they would come after us and say, "There's no such thing," you know, and they would try to take your license away. So you always. Oh God, you know, we're always having to run scared at trying to help people. It's, it's crazy that we have to deal with this stuff all the time. But in any case, uh, since then I've treated lots and lots of people with Parkinson's and MS and ALS, et cetera. And, you know, like uh, here over four years ago, there's a case study out of, out of uh, Barcelona, Spain. They did 62 ALS patients. They did autopsies and they measured the brain and spinal cord for yeast and for bacteria. And every one of the 62 patients had yeast and bacteria in their brain and spinal cord at death. So that would indicate that there's probably some relationship between all these bugs and, and so now it may, it may be not just nanoparticles, but the actual bugs themselves are getting into the circulation and causing this. It's hard to say for sure, but why not just treat it all, you know, if if we have evidence that they have lots of bugs, bacteria. Of all kinds and and yeast, and let's give them IV. Now, oral doesn't work often uh, for yeast. You can't, you know, you can treat them and treat them and treat them. You just can't get rid of it. So I have to treat orally and IV. If you do that, your chances of getting it, you know, really uh, knocked out is much better. So, Dr. David Steenblock, when
0: you're looking at the work that was done by Dr. Roy Swank of Oregon, and he published working with like 4,000 patients, uh, multiple sclerosis, and he, he described that a high fat, a high, particularly saturated fat, uh, which always is indigenous to animal product, that uh, he actually monitored identical twins. And one group was on a plant based, uh, oil free type diet, uh, or at least uh, no saturated fats. And then the other group was eating whatever they wanted to eat, but they were identical twins. And so over the course of years, the group uh, that was on the uh, plant-based saturated free diet, low sugar, they progressed and lived a healthy life, normal, almost normal life. The group that was on the saturated animal fat diet, uh, dairy product and so forth, they're uh, restricted oxygen, as you mentioned earlier about uh, the issue with restriction of oxygen, but high fat, coats the red blood cells. They come to the capillary beds and you're reducing oxygen by 30%. And so gradually, meal after meal, year after year, these people would... uh, even in an identical twin, would would drop to the point of of premature death. They'd lose their breathing. They'd lose what, whatever all the symptoms go with neurological disorders. So diet plays a huge role in in potentially in neurological issues with the gut, as you mentioned, and and candida. And I've I've heard of caprylic acid, which we use in an adrenal immune support. And even though orally, but it seems to help, at least when I look under the microscope, you and I have been doing microscopy for since the beginning, what, 40 years or at least. And you see this decrease in the fungal form. So uh, you don't want to feed the bugs, meaning giving them a lot of uh, separated sugar. uh, And you also want to um, use herbal interventions, antioxidants, uh, phytochemicals, things that are going to improve the immune system. So does this all come into play Uh, because patients aren't always compliant with diet so i use neural reprogramming with the hypnosis of the mind and get them on a program on a regular basis and exercise and outdoor sunlight so lifestyle that the pillars of health this is all very important when you're doing these incredible treatments to literally bring people back to life as if you know it's an it's a miracle uh, but we need to educate the public don't we about all these lifestyle interventions totally
1: totally totally <laughs> I agree 100, percent. and you know of all of you know as much as many accolades as you throw at me, I can tell you, I don't do enough of what you're just saying to do. Uh, I um, I have a. Overhead, like everybody else has, I've got a big operation, and I got to keep seeing patients to pay the bills. And and uh, and frankly, I maybe I'm not the best hypnotherapist that there is. Uh, I, you know, I only spent a little bit of time on it, uh, so I never was trained formally in it. And I don't think very many doctors have been. And uh, so, uh, and trying to. You know, so I, I try to spend as much time as I can to educate the person, but in general, it's oftentimes way over their head, uh, and you have to make it uh, simple, and you have to make it comp- so, so so compelling that they want to do it. Um, and uh, and I think repetitive uh, actions are good. And I think what, right now we've got really an opportunity to help people because of our tremendous communication Uh, tools that we have, and I refer especially to YouTube. And uh, and if you go to YouTube and put in uh, uh, on the search engine, dangers of saturated fat, I guarantee you're going to find a few videos that talk about the dangers of saturated fat. Uh, And so uh, I try to get people to To do that, I say I want you to go and I write down, go to the YouTube and study this or whatever. I don't know if they do it or not, but at least you know because they don't have time to do it here, and I don't have time to show them all these facts. So if they're motivated to stay healthy and get healthy, then they actually may go go through that because otherwise it takes too much time, and you and they don't want to pay you either. Nobody wants to pay you for education. Uh, They want to pay you for giving them stem cells. They'll pay you for hyperbaric. They'll pay you for a procedure. They'll pay you for a pill, but my time is worthless. And so, I mean, really, right? You don't, you don't, nobody cares what I, then I think I'm worth $300 an hour. In fact, they think I'm worth less than that. I should be paying them to listen to it. I mean, it, it gets, you know, whoa.
0: It's the reality, <laughs> it's isn't the reality it? Of the situation.
1: And so, yeah, I agree totally. I think saturated fat is, as a bugaboo, if you look up saturated fat and endotoxins, Number one, one of the biggest things that cause leaky a gut and allows endotoxins to get into your blood. Uh, endotoxins go to your liver, cause a fatty liver. People don't know that. And so you see your liver enzymes a little bit elevated. You've got endotoxemia. You've got a leaky gut. You need to start working on it. So and there's, there, if you go to leaky gut on Google, you'll find all kinds of information about that too. What can you do about that? So that's a whole nother story. But, uh, you know, there's so many things that you can find out about your body. You know, people come in here with all these strange things. And, and I just say, well, first of all, you got to have a heavy metal test. You have to check, do a what's called a DMSA challenge test, and then we have to do a quantitative urine organic acid test, then we have to do a CDSA, comprehensive digestive stool test, and then we have to have all these blood tests too. Now we get some idea of what's going on uh, because if you don't do those things, you just don't know. For example, when you get a CDSA, a comprehensive digestive stool test, and you're dealing with one of these MS or ALS or whatever, there's a particular organism that is called a commensal. A commensal is a, an organism that's supposed to be normal. The report says commensal, which means don't worry about it. It's in, it's given a green color. On the, and if you're looking for something that's bad, you look for red. Red is bad, green is good. That's what you, they can they, they, they make it simple for the doctors. So I said, well, it's green, it's okay. I did that for years. Finally I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere listening to the lab, let me check it out. So I started looking up what the green bugs had, and it turns out that all the green bugs are toxic too. No. And so like, for example, E. coli, there's 400 different kinds. Well, you can't just say E. coli is okay. That one is what may be causing the problem. So there's one, one kind that's called bacterioides fragilis. And I, so this is my current little hobby of looking at bacteroides. And it's a commensal, it's supposed to be normal, no problems. But you start looking it up and, and and put in neurotoxins and bacteroides, and yeah, it's got neurotoxicity. Okay, so what else? It turns out that the outer cell wall the endotoxin, the lipopolysaccharide, has a special property on this one, the bug. This bug, that outer cell wall binds to aluminum in your diet and forms toxic microaggregates that go into your body, and wherever they go, they settle in, and your body reacts to that with, it's an immune stimulant. It's the most powerful immune stimulant we have, so your body starts attacking it. It turns out that MS patients and ALS patients have nothing but aluminum in their cords, and then they have bacteroides in their gut. Now, what do you think? Is there a relationship? I think so. And so this is just another example of how complicated it is, and now they have all kinds of other bugs too. You know, so how, you know, how do you know? So, Another way to look at it is is to take a look at your tongue. You know, so if you have open, you look in the mirror, and look at your tongue. You'll see sometimes irregularities like little holes, or if you have little tiny crevices and cavities, you know, little like like the like you see in the moon, little little indentations, and there's a clear area around it, there's all this cloudy stuff. That's an autoimmune allergic reaction. And that kind of thing is gonna affect your whole body because that's going on throughout your whole intestinal tract. That's called a leaky, there, you're right there in your tongue, you can see the leaky gut. Now you can take a scraping, I don't know if you do this, but you take a scraping off that, and do a hard scraping, put it on on the slide. and The face contrast microscope. Uh And, And when you see, what you see are white blood cells flying around like crazy. And the, so you can correlate if they have a leaky gut. They got blood vessel, they got white blood cells on their tongue and you can identify it. And you say, Well, there it is, you got a leaky gut. Look, you got you know, it's not normal for white blood cells to be out on side on your tongue saying, Hi, here I am. That's not right. You know, they're not supposed they're supposed to be inside, not outside. You know, how do they get out there? Because they're leaky. So your tongue is leaky. You know, it's leaky enough so that white blood cells can get out. So that's not good.
0: And Dr. Steenblatt, I have two questions. I have a patient that has suffered for more than a couple of years with ear infection, uh, has a a challenge with uh, energy, is... Difficult having difficulty losing weight uh, as a female and, you know, is, is still cycling, but, you know, is now, you know, embarking on looking to correct hormones. Uh, I asked to get a 24-hour urine test, but her doctors at Kaiser say, well, why would you do that, you know? And so, you, you know, you, you look at what traditional doctors are looking at and they don't realize the complexity of the human body. And when you're trying to work through and then maybe she tries a, an intervention and gets a little rash or a little reaction and like, okay, and then reports to another doctor, you, you get the other doctors involved and it, it, it creates some just dis- confusion and distrust uh, amongst, you know, the therapy. So what I was leading up to, you brought up a very fascinating thing uh, regarding the, the issue with, with COVID and, and seeing these platelets, which I'm seeing that as well in the COVID patients under the microscope. Uh, describe what you
1: believe is going on here. Well, yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, um, when you look at a dark field or phase or regular, just regular microscopy on a post COVID or even with COVID, uh, the patient, the, what you see are, are platelets that are hyperactive. Normally, And
0: platelets are part of the normal clotting yeah, mechanism of yeah, the body. I mean, they're they, there's little cell fragments, right? Yeah,
1: they're, they're originated in the, in the bone marrow by way of a large cell called a megakaryocyte. And so the megakaryocyte shucks out a few hundred of those every day. Uh, these little tiny particles, when you look at it under a microscope, with, the red cell is like uh, five microns, and these things are like 50 microns. They're very tiny. Uh, so not f- point 0.5, so they're about one-tenth the size or less of the size of a red cell, so you barely see them on- with a microscope. Yeah, a red
0: blood cell might be approaching 9 microns. Yeah. The capillary is 7 microns, so what you're talking about is significantly yeah, smaller, like point 0.5 significantly or so. Micron less. Right.
1: So it's very tiny. Anyway, so with high power, you can actually see them a little better. And so uh, with high power, uh, you can see that the uh, uh, normally the... Uh, platelets, when they are attached to the glass, they sort of spread out a little bit. And uh, they, you may see a few attached to one another, maybe four or five uh, attaching, but they're not doing much. They're just kind of stuck together a little bit because they're activated. And when they're activated, uh, they tend to want to uh, stick to things because that's their job is to stick to the wall of the blood vessel that's been damaged and seal it. So in this case, though, uh, these platelets have become really activated. And so instead of just sticking a little bit to the glass and one to another, they, they stick to each other in um, really great quantities. And pretty soon, instead of having a four or five like uh, normal, you'll have 50 or 100 uh, or, or 200, 300 platelets. And so these, instead of being, like you said, a red cell is 7 to 9 microns. Well, these are more like a minimum of, of 100 to 400, 500. So they're 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 actually blood clots and they do block the capillaries. And so this is one of the reasons why you have that shortness of breath, et cetera, when you have the COVID, you get these little white they're called, I call them white thrombi. I don't think, I have not seen anybody else call them white thrombi, but they are. Uh, so the other guys who don't use a microscope, we have We have this, pr- this problem is that the standard doctors no longer know how to run a microscope. And so Nick and I have been one of the few, we're the two, we're, that's why we talk to each other because nobody else understands us. <laughs> But, but the point is that the doctors, they go through medical school, they they look at the microscope for uh, for an hour or two, and then they say, well, that's enough of that. And they go off and they never use it again. And so you wind up with doctors, and doing, including the research doctors, who don't look at the blood of these patients that have got COVID. But if they did, they would see what I'm seeing and what Nick is seeing, and that is these white little clots. They don't have red cells in them. They have white blood cells. And if you look at the uh, autopsy reports and everything, they're talking about hyaline the, or the ground glass uh, appearance. And that's because they, when they stain with these different stains, they, these white platelets form this ground glass kind of appearance. And so it, it, this looks, they don't know what it is, but it's platelets. Now,
0: you and I have been using a microscope for probably over 40 years, and you were just doing a a bone marrow stem cell procedure, and we were looking under the microscope examining uh, the viability of the stem cells. And it's interesting because there's a lot of doctors out there now promoting that they know how to do stem cell treatment, but I've understood that they are using sometimes necrotic or dead stem cells. They're not using, say, viable, uh, taken immediately. And fresh. Uh, what is the problem with them saying we have this high count of stem cells, charging a lot of money, but the outcome and the results is far less than desirable unless you really have the technique and the science, like your laboratory and, and my ability to examine under a microscope what truly is going on? So, can you comment on that?
1: Well, there's a lot of stem cell, quote, stem cell labs, and, uh, and uh, oftentimes they're underfinanced uh, and the people are undertrained. Uh, but they're awfully over-hungry. <laughs> so, so you have a, that's a bad combination for the patient because uh, you've got people that are claiming to be experts will tell you that they're experts. And and for example, I had one it has been a couple years ago, three years ago, I, I had a, a company that was trying to sell me stem cells. And I said, well, send me a sample. So they sent me a vial of their stem cells. They labeled it 30 million. And so we, you know, we have the equipment. They apparently they don't have the equipment. So they didn't even know how to measure. They didn't have the equipment that's required. It's called a flow cytometer. It costs it cost me one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Well, when you're starting off selling stem cells, you don't have one hundred thirty thousand dollars. You have enough money to buy a used uh, hood that you can put your your umbilical cord under and and mix up your whatever and and make your vials of stem cells. So. They don't have money, they don't have technique, they don't have the background to do it right. So here they come, they give me a, a, a vial of uh, so called stem cells that they called. They said it was 30 million. We measured it and it was 3.5 million. Oh, my God. And so they're selling you what they're telling you is 30 million, and reality was th- 3 million. And how good they are, I don't know. But, you know, it's like this is the kind of craziness we've got in this country because, you know, it comes down to the FDA and their, 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 uh, wisdom, their wisdom of not allowing people to grow stem cells because when you grow them, they claim that that's going to turn them into some strange beast and going to turn into a drug and kill you. And so you have to treat it as a drug, spend a half a billion dollars or so to get them approved for all forms of use because, and make sure that they're all safe, which is nuts because they're just still stem cells. And so, uh, so because of that, because of that law, these people don't grow them, and they just take the cord, and they buy the cords, and then they out of the cord they get like 20 mLs of blood uh, or stem cells, mostly mononuclears. And so then that mon- those mononuclears they package up and, and sell, and uh, and so one mL there they sell for maybe two thousand dollars, and so uh, that's to the doctor. The doctor turns around and sells it to the patient for anywhere from four to $6,000, and uh, and you as a person uh, buying, you don't know, and you don't know if it's good or not because you don't know what was going on at the lab. The doctor that's there, he doesn't even have a microscope. He doesn't know how to run a microscope. He doesn't know how to look in a microscope, and you say you need to buy a microscope so you can look at the stem cells before you give them to your patient because you need to know that they're not contaminated, they don't have bacteria in them and all that, and they'll look at you and say, buy a microscope? Huh that costs money i bet it would cost me $500 and yet they're willing to spend take your money you know have charge you 4000 5000 and they won't take any of that money and put it back into their own business to make sure that they continue to give good results it's crazy so uh, there's a lot of people out there that shouldn't be doing what they're doing thank exactly. you
0: Well, fortunately, I'm training doctors to use uh, the microscope now around the country. Dr. James Lorenz in Michigan, he's very satisfied. Dr. Neil Batsnoth in Boston area, he's been using microscopy for over 20 years. And we're teaching classes together now because it's kind of a lost art. I mean, you know, everyone got, uh, I think lazy when they got these cbc machines that can test you know hundreds of of samples immediately and it takes time you got to put the drop under the microscope cover slip have good technique have good equipment uh you know we, we we have prided ourselves in in doing good work for 40 40 years and so you know especially as a tool of education when you can show a patient under a tv screen i
1: think of all the things that you have the dark field is probably the number one teaching a tool that a doctor can use to educate and to convince the person to do what you're asking them, that is get off of the fats and sugars, et cetera, because they can see it. If they can see it and it's their blood, it actually makes sense and they actually will do it. But I swear, if you don't have that, you just tell them, oh, forget it. You know, just telling a person, anything. Well, they're
0: the, going to run off to the next doctor who yeah. have another story, another protocol yeah. that isn't based on science.
1: You got to convince the person and it's not with just your your golden words uh, and your sharp, and your smooth silky golden tongue. It's actual evidence of what their blood looks like and they see it and they say, "Oh my god, I don't believe it." And, and they'll stop doing whatever. Sort of like it's also... Like,
0: and then they see it improve yeah. when when they follow your recommendations. Absolutely.
1: And now another thing that helps for sugar is nobody believes that they've got hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. And so you can tell them, but they don't listen. They they'll say, You say, you've got low blood sugar, you got to avoid sugar, etc. You can tell them the whole thing about it and go through it all carefully. And nine times out of ten, within three days, they've forgotten about it, won't do it. So, but if you go and give them, say, go down and have a glucose tolerance test, they go down and have a glucose tolerance test, and it likes to kill them. They get shaky and sick. And they say, oh, Jesus, I do have it, and it convinces them. And then they will follow the diet and, and get better. But you have to have something that really is dramatic, otherwise, forget it.
0: Right. And, and, and of course, high hemoglobin A1C. They're, it doesn't, they're, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, they don't care. Yeah.
1: It doesn't matter. It's, they have to have something that they can To
0: show see. them. It's it's, it's so true. Them. Something it's,
1: like that. Then you have them convinced. But otherwise, it's awfully hard to sell them. You know, like go back to Swank. You know, Swank. I love Swank. He was a great guy. I could. Tell. I Swank. I, last time I saw him, he was 89 years old, and he was. He met me, and uh, I told him about. I was at a meeting at A down in Florida, and so he. You know, because I mentioned it, he he popped in, and he was on his honeymoon. With a 29-year-old. Can you believe it? <laughs> and how old was he? He's 89. 89 with a 29-year-old. 29-year-old. It was on his honeymoon.
0: That kept him young.
1: <laughs> I think he's still going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think so yeah Roy Swank, uh, quite a scientist. And you know y- you and I run in circles of the greatest scientists and doctors and educators in the world. And we're here now educating the public about this is available. We don't have to go to harsh measures to suppress the body's own natural abilities. We have to open up people's mind that these therapies exist. they can work, and chronic degenerative diseases, are something that doesn't happen overnight. It happens from poor lifestyle choices. But then we can use these miracle interventions that you use here in the facility, uh, Dr. Steenblock. Uh, I know you have hyperbaric oxygen, you have uh, counter pulsation uh, to uh, stimulate the heart and improve the blood vessels. You have some really novel therapies. And I think you have the most impressive set of equipment of any clinic. I, I've been to clinics all over the world. so you know it's exciting to have this opportunity and at the same time uh, you know, it's a matter of getting the word out. So, uh, what I'd like to do is is just uh, just go down one final list of conditions that you think, including joint problems, uh, hip, knee, shoulder. You know, these common joint injuries. Uh, have you observed stem cells helping? Uh, I know Dr. Shaw, London trained in Malaysia. He's doing some novel procedures with stem cells and before after MR MRIs. But what are you finding? in terms of the ability of, of, of stem cells combined potentially with hormone optimization with healthy diet and lifestyle. Do you think that this is the best way to approach many of these chronic diseases and then really get to the cause of the problem?
1: Well, there's no question. Uh, number one, uh, people ask me, what do I specialize in? And you know, I could say, well, I was a biochemist, pathologist, physician, orthopedic surgeon, uh, internist, uh, cardiologist, cardiac rehab, stroke rehab, You know, allergist. I had an allergy lab. I mean, I've been around. And yet, uh, what do I do? I specialize in taking out the bad and putting in the good. That's it. Now, when I say that, I mean you have all those bacteria. You have the yeast. You have the metals. You have the viruses, the prions, etc., cetera, et cetera. Then you have the problems with the hormones. Uh, are they high or low? Uh, do you have enough iron or not? Do you have this or not? And so you have to go through all that. And so they have you have to get rid of all the bad, the bugs, the, the poisons, the toxins, the mercury, the cadmium, whatever. And when you do all that, and you take out the albumin and put in new albumin. You've cleaned up everything as best you can. You give them stem cells. And then after you give stem cells, you give bone marrow and umbilical cord. Then after that, then you hit them with things like DHEA. Uh, DHEA stimulates neurogenesis. You put them on the right diets for, for the same kind of things. Like, did you know that for the one number one food, basically for neurogenesis, sardines. Goes back to, what's this, the guy that uh, that wrote the book on Don Frank, Benjamin Frank, back in the 70s. He wrote a book on the no-aging diet, and his number one product was sardines. And it's all full of purines, which is needed for optimization of a neurogenesis. And if you look it up, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's like, oh... I forgot that. (laughs) What about omega 3s? Is this important for a healthy brain? They're full of olive oil. So, you know, extra virgin olive oil is absolutely phenomenal. And And
0: could you take the whole olives and maybe get a good degree of the omegas as well?
1: That's a good question. I, I, I think olive oil is olive oil. You can't get much stronger than olive oil. So extra virgin olive oil, you know, the best way to find out what's the best there is to put it in the refrigerator, and if it gets solid in the refrigerator, it's not the good extra virgin olive oil. If it stays liquid in, in the refrigerator, then it's okay. Now, why why is that? Because the extra virgin olive oil has certain compounds like hydroxytyrosol, which are anti-inflammatory and whatnot, and, and antibacterial. So if it gets
0: solid, that's...
1: Not a good product. It is a good product. Oh, it is. Mixed is good, and when you taste it, it tastes good to start with, but then as you swallow, it burns. That burning is that hydroxytyrosol, which is the active ingredient. Okay, and so you want that, so what you do is, you know, this is a good program. You take like a shot glass of extra virgin olive oil in the morning and at night. Now you can, since it's fat, you can put your fat soluble vitamins in there and mix them up. So now, instead of having to take all those pills, like if you want fish oil, well put the fish oil in and blend it up, with the hell? And so you blend all that stuff. You can, you can then like, if you have an infection in your gut or whatever, then you put in black seed oil. So you put in a tablespoon of black seed oil, mix that up, now, Put that in, and so, and then you, if you want to get more more fancy, you can put a little touch of cinnamon in there. So you can you can concoct all kinds of things by using your extra virgin olive. Oil. Now the extra virgin olive, oil, so it's anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, and it helps stimulate the, and repair your brain membranes and whatnot. And so uh, it goes on and on. It helps with this, with uh, uh, a variety of things. It also raises HDL, and HDL is why. Women have a better response to COVID than men do. Men have, in general, low HDLs, and women have high. And yet, so why is that? Because HDL is protective. It's an antioxidant. And so by taking olive oil, it raises your HDL, and you'll have much more protection. It also be, has been shown now that it's health, health hard heart healthy, and it helps repair and regenerate the heart tissues and and makes you stay alive and healthy. So, you know, we used to think that olive oil was just nothing much because it was just another oil, but now it's actually shown much... Much effectiveness.
0: I have a question on that, Dr. Steenblock. Dr. Press years ago uh, put people on a glucose IV to induce an essential fatty acid deficiency after about 30 days. And then he took oil, rubbed it directly on the skin on all of these patients, and it relieved all the essential fatty acid deficiencies. Skin is a good absorption. Your skin looks particularly good. Do you ever consider, which I do, I don't particularly swallow olive oil, but I do rub it on my skin each day. And um, because I'm out outdoors in the sun a lot. I usually rub it on my legs and things, but I'm starting to get used to rubbing on my face at night uh, because there's this guy, uh, Bernardo LaPello, and he's a Uh, Bennett was a plant-based guy. He lived to 114 years of age, and he always bragged he had no wrinkles, and he'd rub oil, olive oil, all over his skin. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he didn't mind how he looked, you know, walking around with this shiny face, but, you know, he had the proof to show it. I mean, his skin looked uh, immaculate. Do you think this is um, helpful to the skin? Uh, Will it absorb and help the layers of the skin,
1: potentially? Yeah, I think there's no no reason not to. Why not? I mean, I I, I think... we still have a ways to go in terms of understanding exactly what is the optimum, you know, formula for putting on lipid membranes to help prevent peroxidation. Uh, and so actually that's one of my research projects that I'm working on. And so um, when we were at the lab, lab uh, and library, I had this big uh Shopping cart full of books, but all that is lipid membrane biochemistry that I'm working on, trying to you know which is it, phosphatidylcholine or phosphatidylinositol or a combination of this or that. Who knows? But could you know hyaluronic acid uh, in combination? Now, that's another thing you throw into that that olive oil. You throw in hy- uh, hyaluronic acid. That's very helpful for fixing up a lot of things too. So there's a tremendous number of things you can do with olive oil. I thought about just dropping out of medicine and just becoming an olive oil salesman. <laughs> (laughs) You know, it's interesting because
0: I've been getting the doctors I work with to get measurements on their patients of their omegas. And you see the omega-3, 6, 9, and and quite often they are very deficient in the omega-3s. I mean, we seem to get a lot of omega-6 in our diets, but the 3s, you know, there's chia seeds, flax seeds. There's certain things that do have the omegas, and you you have to almost know, you know, what, what are the better foods to consume and also minimize the omega-6s because it apparently dominates or suppresses the availability. Pritikin once stated stated that you could actually eat a high-fat diet and be fat deficient in the key omegas.
1: Is that? Sure, there's no question about that. By the way, since as you're talking with me, what else did I forgot to tell you? I think that combination of olive oil and all those things, you could add to it one thing and that would be like psyllium seed. Plain celery sel- seed, and you put like a tablespoon of that. Now you've got lots of fiber, too. Yes. So You can actually use that as like breakfast and just <laughs> clip that down. That's it. You don't well,
0: that's it. always the advantage of nuts and seeds. It already has its fiber intact, yeah. yeah. but you're, you're inducing.
1: Well, so if you have autoimmune diseases, those yeah. nuts and seeds can be really. Hard on your body and okay. stimulate the hell out of your immune system and, okay. and you can cause your autoimmune disease. because the arginine and the nuts and seeds are i have that problem and i tell you it'll kill me <laughs> I'm, okay. you. I'm lucky i
0: get to eat a lot of yeah. variety of nut seeds avocado olives you know so
1: i am not a big fan of lipitor because i took it and got this autoimmune thing
0: oh and you think the lipitor induced it shortly oh, after
1: yeah well it caused my autoimmune and so,
0: oh wow, wow! And
1: so it's been twenty years of misery because of it. Oh my and so, God! And now I'm trying. I'm trying to go through everything on lupus that there is. What can I do? So I've got myself on a program. I had stem cells last week. This week. On my I was
0: going to ask you about that, because you had a, a number of people coming in from Japan that were looking for the elixir of, of youth and yeah. doing a full-on stem yeah. cell and, yeah. and a whole protocol. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's
1: exactly what I... The same program I'm doing with ALS is the same Youngering program, so in other words, get rid of all the bugs, clean up everything as possible, make the body as close to a newborn baby as you can, and then throw all the stem cells at them. And, and then, then and follow it up with like things like DHEA and sardines and all the things that you can to help encourage the growth of the stem cells.
0: So people could come out, learn lifestyle medicine and health and neuro reprogramming with me in Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, area. we go to the beach, we work out, we have a good time, we teach them how to eat, how to live, and then come down here. And what would it take to do this whole anti-aging protocol? How many days or a few weeks? I mean, give me the optimum.
1: Right now it's five days.
0: Five days. Okay. Down to
1: the five days. You know, if you have a really serious problem and you got, uh, you know, enough money to do two weeks then great, but it's, you know, you have to make it practical. Five intensive so days. Clean them all up. I can tell you, you know, do this and do this. We work together. We have quite a program. So
0: they they come in what in the morning, get started yeah, with IVs. So what what would for, they be doing?
1: Yeah, they'd be coming in and, and uh, depending upon if what what the disease is and if they have ALS, then we might use a spinalator to help move their spine because in ALS patients the cerebral spinal fluid doesn't move very well, so you have to encourage the flow of fluid. Uh, so it, it depends upon what the case is, but just say a normal person of 50 years old who said well I'm 50 now I want to go for another 50 and I'm here for my yearly tune-up and so it's not, no real big deal maybe he has a little touch of arthritis here or there but another you know he's maybe a little bit overweight and it's not following what your instructions are or whatever uh and, you know he could come in and you could put him on a program we could together work up a little dietary program and then just so he clean up whatever and make sure that he's had those tests done so, you know, you could send the kits to him beforehand, before he gets there. So then if he has mercury, there's no if he has a high level of mercury, there's no reason to bring him out and try to put him through all this stuff because we won't have time to get rid of all the mercury. So, because it takes a month or two to have him on these- With IV chelation well, you know, and that's silica? Just, that's just DMSA, it's just oral pills, cheap, but you okay. have to do it. So, okay. you know, if you tell them, yeah, you got too much mercury, you got to take this. If you want to get to do our program, you have to do this because otherwise you're wasting your money.
0: So before they fly out, we get them on a program, right, right, get them all cleaned up, right, right. and then they're ready for the yeah. intervention. And we have, we'll have nothing but
1: success, I think.
0: Yeah. That's exciting. You know, Dr. Steenblock, uh, it, it's exciting to do this interview with you. I'm going to share it with uh, literally tens of thousands of people here uh, through Spotify, iTunes, if they like uh, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, we, we're on all the platforms now and, and YouTube, uh, of course. Uh,
1: DuckDuckGo. You know about
0: that one? No, it's, duck,
1: duck, go. it's a joke. No, it's DuckDuckGo. It's a black ops kind of thing. It's supposed to it's like the dark web. So instead of Google, DuckDuckGo is in the dark web. So you can go to DuckDuckGo and get anything and everything you want.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm not real familiar with that I, one.
1: I, I, I was told I don't know about it. Yeah, it sounds like
0: we got to wind up. Uh, but I, I love the interview, Dr. David Steamlock, um, And we'll we'll share your website, your contact information. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so welcome. much. This is Dr. Nick Delgado, author of 15 books, including my newest book book release, Seven pillarscoachingcom I have an irresistible offer that's beyond belief that will take your health, your relationships, your ability to perform as an entrepreneur in your work. This offer, just simply go to the stop stopagingnow.7, the number seven, pillarscoaching.com, and you will see a free offer. It's a twelve hundred dollar value for absolutely free to get my downloads of my four best-selling books: Acne Be Gone for Good, the Skin Condition Acne by Dr. Sonia Batterisi, and yours truly, Dr. Nick Delgado. Blood Doesn't Lie, Mastering Love, Sex, and Intimacy, and the newest release. Stop Aging Now, The 7 Secrets to Look and Feel Great. That's right. It's a $1,200 offer, and you get it for 30 days free. Just simply enter your information. We'll send you the information to download, and you get to review my books. You get to get my online courses, all of them. You get to get a Wednesday mentorship with my top VIP group that is held every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Pacific. 8 p.m. East Coast Standard Time. Yours truly, along with guests that I've invited, germane to the subjects of how do you improve the quality of your sleep, how do you set your mindset to accomplish your goals, how to dramatically improve your fitness profile using my revolutionary 12-minute workout combined with Low training and stretch type yoga movements and the incredible detoxification program, the Nutritional Nutrify program, the right foods to select in conjunction with the specific herbs and how to basically accomplish your goals, rejuvenate your body. The latest on hormones, peptides, all of it is in this course and in 30 days you'll be able to get the results that you never ever thought was possible. I guarantee these results and I'm backing it up with a free offer. Should you decide to continue, the continued program is very minimal, no more than a couple cups of coffee. And you're not gonna need coffee after you go through this program. Who's this for? Entrepreneurs, burned out housewives, individuals who wanna be peak performers in the bedroom, in the boardroom, and in general, take your relationships your health and your energy and your career to a whole new level looking forward to helping you